Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by 12 by 12. Picture book authors need to be fairly prolific to be published. That's why members of 12 by 12 aim to write one picture book draft a month. Through an online forum, monthly webinars, a private Facebook group, and more, members enjoy the accountability, support, and motivation of a fantastic community of authors and illustrators. Registration is only open in January and February. Visit 12by12challenge.com slash membership for more information. One one time there was some there was a child there that was seeing the way they saw and then someone gave them glasses and it was like whoa like you know the transition between like this is right this is what I used to see and now I see it again in a different way I think that's for the communal like uh, maybe the so maybe this like the acknowledgement of something you know it's like to acknowledge someone's intellect and genius, I think is what propels them to like seek deeper and go higher into that, that space. So that's great. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 662. I am your host, Matthew Winner. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner. And joining me on the show today is illustrator Shane W. Evans, who shares my friend, his latest picture book with his best pal, Tay Diggs. This book has such terrific rhythmic language made only greater by Shane's beautiful and evocative color blocking throughout the art. One of my most favorite things Shane shared in our conversation was how he's constantly working to stay aware of the child in him. It's so clear as I read Shane's art. Truly, one only needs to spend a moment with one of Shane's books to hear that voice and that value come calling out. Please welcome my guest, Shane W. Evans, Illustrator of My Friend. My name is Shane Warren Evans. That's what the W is for. I see myself as a man, a boy, a child, a father, an artist, um, a creator. And uh, yeah, that's it. I'm thinking that's a good start. I think that's a great start. I think another word that, if you don't mind me putting on you, is that you're a friend. 
In particular, you've got a you got a new book that you made with a friend about being a friend. Can you tell me about your friend Tay Diggs and how you came to make stuff together? I appreciate that attitude there. That's it. Yeah, it's true. It's in, it's important because I have truly come to know friend and friendship as. You know, I even, I even like started laughing that, you know, we could just add a ship to friend and then all of a sudden you're on this like journey, you know, sailing, sailing through life. Um, the idea of friend to me is that you put in some some work and some consistency. And Tay and I actually, we just launched uh, the book this past weekend in this virtual space. And it was it's always good to see each other no matter how you know, that opportunity comes about. And we've been having that opportunity since we were 15, you know, high school students, um, sophomores, you know, fumbling and, and tripping our way through the high school experience. And we actually had come to the, here, we had come to the same high school, um, both transfers from other schools, actually. So we did a, a ninth grade or a freshman year somewhere else. And then found our way to the school of the arts in Rochester. And, you know, the so-called, the, like the about him, you know, phase of, of uh, who he is today, you know, he's he is a friend. He's a family member. I call him that. And he's a father, an actor, an author, you know, uh, humanitarian. He's, you know, I say this to him often. He, he has taught me a lot about giving, you know. He's a very giving individual. And... You know, us growing up in this very, like, modest environment in Rochester and evolving into individuals who've been able to, like, travel the world and been able to give of ourselves has been very uh, inspiring to, you know, actually to create stuff together. And that stuff, because sometimes you actually don't know that it's going to become something that solidifies into you know, meaningfulness to someone. So if a, if the stuff turns into a book, a book can turn into a, a number of stories that transcend from that one story. So I think that's been amazing to kind of, you know, see and him and I together as friends, you know, as collectively creating together all, all throughout the years from ages 15 to the current day. Um, that's been a, an amazing part of the witnessing of the what the friendship has has meant to us both, and really in supporting ourselves and supporting our family, and others around us as well. Shane, I marvel at anyone working in a creative field who uses their powers to serve children, to serve mm-hmm. children through not just humanitarianism and through support and through championing and, and supporting their agency, but also by creating things for them to be able to see themselves and their experiences reflected. And you and Tay have done that on a number of books. The, the, the one that we're talking about today is my friend. We've had a couple before that that really, I think lead straight into this book. Can you remember when you felt drawn to making for children? Hmm. Oh my goodness, that's a good one. Um, 
I mean, I guess in searching my like memory, my like heart memory on it, it's the the moment when I realized it as a child. I think that was probably the moment I made the decision that I would stay aware of that child in me. If child is just another way of saying I am who I am in a way, then like what we were talking about with being a parent and watching our children show us something that we reinforce who they are at that moment. So in the, my five-year-old or four-year-old body, when I was first able to communicate with you know, those around me in this drawing way, I realized that that was an important uh, tool of communication. And then to be reinforced throughout all the seasons of you know, childhood, it, again, if, if we maintain it as adults, we are still you know, part of our child selves, then it's more about the maintenance of that space and the, that who I am um, and not giving way to some other kind of like false idea that I no longer can be connected to that person. So, you know, in my adult space, this, the, say, the saying that I would be doing this for children would be like the thing, you know, for teachers like yourself. When you go into a classroom, you know, and you're like the guest or you're the, the, the person who's being focused on that day, there, there's a moment in there where you realize you're, you're a part of the experience. You're yes. not. The, yeah. <laughs> you know, I could just as easily sit down with the children on the floor and have someone else go up and be learning um, from that teacher. So I think that's been the kind of the, the flip around when that moment when adults so-called are teaching you that, you know, you're eventually going to lose something. I just chose to you know, hold on to that thing um, and maintain it and also speak back to the people who are my peers, which actually are children in a lot of instances and adults alike. And I think in that holding space, in that pattern, I know for some reason I'm recalling, I had this moment at a school in Washington where I was invited to speak. And oftentimes from that perspective, I'm looking at a lot of humans, you know, it's like people sitting on the floor, people sitting <laughs> on chairs above them. <laughs> and there was, this, there was like what I call an energy over to the maybe left of me that was really, really excited, you know, and it, the energy came in the form of a, a girl who looked like she was around seven or eight. And her excitement was the responses, you know, they, that was coming from the response to the questions or the callings that I was having up front. And then I saw that she was getting, I don't know, scolded, but it was sort of like she was getting told to not be as excited as she wanted to be. And, I, you know, I had no issue with it. Like, I was in a good space. Like, I, as the as a teacher, I didn't see an interruption or a disruption. I saw a, another way to kind of, like, integrate that in. And so, you know, I made sure that I, first, I made sure that, the adult knew that I was okay. I'm good. Like I can, yeah. I can work. Yeah, I can work through this. And if you're gonna like, not necessarily scolder, but it's like if you're gonna be a part of that energy too, then like come go nearer to her and like you. I'm gonna focus on you both. You are now my part of my team. Like, how do we work together? 
to take that excited energy and move it around the room, you know? So I think that's another element of like us, you know, maintaining our childlike ways um, and holding on to the why we continue to like do the thing we love. And in this instance, it, it is communicating with children, you know, all levels, um, all languages, you know, that's to me what illustration has allowed me to do. Um, so yeah, so I think that's it. It's the maintenance of my child and bringing that forward into my adult world that has allowed me to continue the dialogue and exchange with children. It's clear from reading Tay's books, from seeing your collaborations together, that you both do acknowledge children as peers, that you're there with them. I love one of my favorite scenes that, that just kicks off best friend um, or my friend is that you've got this um, wonderful greeting, handshaking moment that goes, what's happening, man? Then we slap hands. Mine is kind of chocolate. His is kind of tan. Then comes the shake we make as we take our time with each grip switch, then break. Big smiles for miles walking down that aisle of the bus. Must grab that seat just for us. The one cat I trust. I feel like for <laughs> for anyone to be able to bring in that energy of, you know how I want to start my day, you know, you know how I want to start my morning intention is being with you, my friend. That's how my day starts. And that's that's what sets things in motion. The way that you both have captured that both in art and in that rhythm of the text, I think is just wonderful. And it carries throughout and the the sort of rolling, rollicking rhyme scheme here is just, it's so fun. Props to mm. Tay, props to you both for what you deliver in this book because it just feels like joy, which probably for me, not to jump ahead, but that's probably what causes the, the conflict that we ultimately pause at later in the book to have such deep, you know, foot-stopping weight just to stop you in your tracks because everything else up to that just rolls. It's a great book. It's a wonderful yeah. book, Shane. Yeah, I appreciate it. I've really always enjoyed I mean, we've had a conversation prior, so it's been good to really like listen to you speak on it and read it. And I'm really encouraged by that because I know also you're a teacher and a parent. And so that that's um, been so vital in the way that these books that we uh, shared from our hearts and minds that others like will take on the responsibility to, you know, put that out there in such a meaningful and thoughtful way. And because sometimes we do, especially as adults, we're teaching this thing of how to, you know, put things in boxes or, you know, categories. The one element that we are always focused on subliminally in a way is to like break out of those spaces. So that, you know, when when I just hear the words and I know what the visuals look like because I had a hand in, in putting those visuals together, it's funny because those handshakes are in little boxes, little like cartoon. Yeah, cartoon it's like a comic. Box. It's like a panel. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the funny thing was we were talking about that, you know, uh, in our book launch, the irony of like a handshake today is, is such a different dialogue, you know than what we would have been having actually even when I was making that book. So really what I am saying on that page 
and I think that in some ways Tay is saying in those words is that there's so many actual different ways to greet. So if like, I mean, to be real, if a pandemic takes away the touch of hand, there must be another way that already existed to, for us to be able to greet and meet and, you know, side, side kick our feet or something like that, yeah. you know, in a different pattern to show that, you know, I see you, I feel you, you know, I know where you're coming from. Um, and we don't, have, we don't have to go through traditional ways of, of communicating always. And even that word tradition now, you know, is turned on its head because something that you may have learned last year has al already evolved into something else. So those two characters in this book, having that like handshake, I'm, I'm sure you've seen, there's a, some teachers that have a, a different handshake for every student. For every student. Class. I love those videos. Yeah. 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 And one summer, Tay and I, we, we are part of an organization that's still thriving, actually called The Broader Way. And every season is a 10, it was a 10 day um, session. And I would challenge myself. There were like in some instances, there were almost 100 campers there. I was challenging myself with that same thing of like a different handshake for every young lady is a, a camp for young ladies that were there um i was challenging myself with that the thing that i learned though because you know it was hard to like maintain everyone because it was you know every day was a different consistency too that the young person who i shared that handshake with the day prior would be teaching me again every day yeah. So that strength that strengthened it. So there's something about that page that is pretty pretty dynamic. Even the bus hopes holding a seat and all that. It's how our friendships grow. Like there are there are languages between friends that no one else speaks. Support comes from teachingbooks.net. Teaching Books strives to personalize each reader's connections to children's and young adult books. Discover thousands of resources that bring books and reading to life. Sign up for free today at teachingbooks.net. Right. I think that even that learning together, you being a peer, you doing that, the, the text that, that follows shortly after that reads, these are the things I go through with you, my crew, because you're my friend. I think about what it means as an adult or as a, a classmate or whomever you are in that space to show up day after day and engage day after day, not uh, in such a way of like, ah, I can't get this, forget this, or I'm not going to bother you learning your name, or I'm not going to whatever. Your mm -hmm. engagement speaks to care and speaks to love. Whether or not you remember the handshake, mine was always the three H's. I would always offer mm -hmm. students a hug, a handshake, or a high five. They got to choose. Whatever you want. Yeah. Hug, handshake, high five. But it's that same mm -hmm. thing of, I'm going to be here. I might not remember the thing that you said, but I'm going to offer me to you. And that's what being in a relationship is all about, right? The way we offer ourselves to one another. Yes, it's a good point. That's a good point. And offer ourselves to the moment. You know, yeah. What, what is, yeah, what is happening at that moment? Um, there's something to be said about, like, speaking. There's something to be said about silence. You know, there's, I had a lot of really quiet friends, you know? And so how, you know, how do you so-called kind of create a relationship? Some people might think, well, it's challenging to get to know somebody. 
without speaking to someone. And I think that that's actually a part of it. And then I see the part of it that those quiet friends that sit quietly in the in the moment, yeah, and then say something at the right moment. It's like wow, like that person spoke. Like it's time to really listen, you know, because they're very thoughtful with their words or their ways of communicating, their times of communicating too. Yeah. Hey Shane, talk to me a little bit about what your dance with Tay looked like in making this book. What did it where 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 does his words end and your art come in? Do you make these together from idea? Do you work off in your separate spaces and come together? What did it look like, at least for this one? I'm sure it's always evolving. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I mean, it's funny because when we get together, when you have that opportunity to talk about it in the process, which, you know, this happened this weekend, um, I my recollection was that he sent me a text and it was the full the full version <laughs> of, <laughs> right of, of that of the my friend um, you know uh, dynamic and the prompting for him to send that was hey here's an idea by text you know I was saying this is me typing typing on an idea to him um, here's the, here's the idea can you can you write something to this and the title is basically my friend yeah. and then and i hit the i hit that thing send and then a couple you know three four days later i don't know maybe a week in this instance he just put it all together and so it came back to me in a text because that's how we best communicate and then usually i'll copy and paste that from my text and send that to myself in an email so I can see the text more fully. <laughs> and then from there, I would have, yeah, I'm, I'm jumping back in time in my mind on this one. I would have read it probably a handful of times, you know, started breaking it down page by page. And, and I do that by taking a piece of, a, of text and figuring out where the complete idea is. Sure. And, yeah, and then holding that and then like visualizing what that is. I think the thing that is the most challenging is that like in the books, like um, even with this book, actually, there's a refrain which says my friend, you know, so just two words on a page. And I knew that I wanted to put that on a page by itself. Like that looks like a million and three different images, you know, and I just use that. I use that random number. Same as someone says, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. It's just as much worth a thousand and one. Like you can up the ante, you can make a different visual for it. So the coupling of pictures and words together, and he, he says this a lot, and I, this is what I think is great about the respect that we have for one another in the creative process is that he trusts where I'm going with it. So that's that's been the, the caveat to like how... I think in many ways we've been able to stir up this type of uh, success. And I say that, you know, relative success relative to just being able to put something out there is a success. And so from that space, the meaning behind it is that we mean it. Like, you know, that's the, that's the irony. It's like, yeah, we really mean this. Like we, I think in the very beginning in the book, book world, a lot of times, some people will often write off, you know, like 
actors writing books as if they are not capable of it or something like that. I, I recognize that. So I always say this is not really a celebrity book. That first book was mostly about two friends coming together and telling something that we wanted to share. That was it. It's like, this is what we, this is what we collectively can say together. We've been trusting one another's creative like process for many, many seasons. And hopefully, you know, one other person can join us in this, in this storyline thread. I, I have so much nerding out to do over your art. I know you know that from the last time we talked. I'm obsessed with your art across different books. I had mentioned to you, I think when we first connected, that last year we had at our school a book that was so beloved in our Mock Coretta Scott King Award and read throughout the book or throughout the school, which was Hands Up by Brianna J. McDaniel. She came to visit our school. We talked about your art constantly. We talked about just the color stories that you use from book to book. And this book in particular has a stunning color story, getting to a point where the children are just almost almost color blocked and light illuminates them in challenging spots. I'm thinking in particular of that, of that culminating scene where one of the characters reads, but as I chill, since we had time to kill, I spot my friend spilling ill will. He sticks his leg out then comes a trip, then a shout, then he points and laughs. What's that about? The kids on the ground with a pout. I make up my mind to change this route because he's my friend. That page, for those that haven't seen it yet, you've got the three kids, one on the ground, but they're just color blocked in like a blue, a purple, and sort of an in-between, sort of an indigo. Actually, quite brilliantly, I love that the child talking has a two on their jersey, and the friend they're talking to has a one. To me, that reads, if this is could be looking way too far into it, but what I love about it is that notion of like, I'm going to be number two to my friend. I want to look for my friend, my number one. But also, there's a third person in this mix. It's not just the two of us. There's a third person here. I feel like those numbers, I'm sure those numbers were deliberate. But I feel like the the way you've mapped them also says something to readers. But again, in that space, you're you're doing a different kind of color blocking. Those wonderful, rich textures are under everything in your art, but you... You change that. So I wonder where the color story for this book or maybe just for for all of your books, because it's it's clearly part of your voice as an artist. Where does that color story come in, Shane? Excellent observations. Um, I think that when we, I, I can say collectively a we, like when we as artists are working on things, we have this feeling that we want to be present and then we also want the work to be what it needs to be so in a way the one two and three um that that sequence was definitely um i was mindful about it when i was doing it you know um i remember finishing the characters and then made a decision around putting numbers on them and having you know having had jerseys of characters and, and sports sports individuals that I really like over the years as well as having the, at one point you know played sports where I you know had to make a choice around a number mm. that that number 
um, kind of was significant in some way because it helped me to kind of see that time. Um, and I played, I played football of all things when I was in like, I don't know, fifth grade or something like that. And so the number that you choose seemed to have something to do with the position you played on the field, except that I played this, I've got the number 28 and played in a defensive position, which normally would have been in the 70s or 80s or high number, something like that. That's what it seemed seemed to be. But then once I had my number, it was like, well, this is just who I am. This is my number. I like this number. Um, and so I think when I was messing around with the numbers here, I had to think like the characters a little bit. Like, I don't know, maybe they got those shirts from the gym class and that's <laughs> what they got. Maybe those were their favorite numbers. I, you know, I didn't really, you know, know kind of what that story was, but I felt like, all right, well, that third character seemed to be wanting to be a part of the whole. That's yeah. the idea of it. Yeah, the, the idea of a team. And so that kind of awkward moment that happens when, I don't know what it is, jealousy comes to mind or, you know, feeling like this is my friend, you know, like, I don't want anybody else to experience that, you know. I think that when I started experiencing the storyline behind the pictures, that's when I started to feel like color had a lot to do with what was going to be important. I did want to steer away from, because there's a book I did called Underground, and this came out, I believe, in like 2012, and it's the story around the Underground Railroad, which I have a you know a very specific feeling about, that one, we don't really know when, when it began. There was no specific date that would have been recorded, because it's an idea. And so then, in some ways, there was no real conclusion to it. It's more of a, a giant thought that continued to keep moving people into the idea of freedom. So that book specifically, when I put the colors to those characters, I made them what I consider blue, you know? And when I would share the pictures with students, since they were learning about the underground, they made the attachment to a group of people. So I would point out the picture on the cover and say, you know, what color are these people? What what colors do you see here? What color are these people? And, you know, I, I was like, I knew what the answers would be. I had a feeling of what the answers would be. So some would say, well, they're, they're brown. And I'd leave that and let it be marinating throughout the space and wouldn't say right or wrong. Somebody else would say, well, they're black. And then eventually someone would see what was there and what I had intended as the artist and someone would say they're blue. So it would get children to really start thinking outside of what they were being taught and learning and start seeing with their own and feeling with their own hearts, eyes, et cetera. So with that, those pages in this book, and I know we're getting deeper because I'm thinking we're addressing lots of people with, with this podcast oh yeah that yeah that moment when you as an artist have a choice to you know paint someone blue knowing that light and darkness has got nothing to do with like colors the way we describe it i think is that moment when you re when you're re-empowering yourself 
because when you're a child and someone's like, people aren't green, you know, it's like, yeah, why not? You know, it's a it would be a dynamic question for a child to say, well, why aren't they green? The light that's in the room affects like what we see. So I think that that was really where I was going with those pages. I want you to see beyond the so-called idea of race. I want you to look beyond um, what you see and think you see with your eyes around what these children look like. And I want you to see the moment that is most important when they all are the same in a way, you know, yeah. the light and the, and the darkness in the room, like pulls them together and helps them move beyond that space. I think that's really like artistically, that's what I am saying in those pages. So it's, it's important because I'm drawing back to when I was a kid, I'd be at my grandparents' house and they would have this Sunday newspaper and there was this little uh, drawing segment they called, I think they called it the mini page. Some artist would take all these little things and hide them in, draw, in the drawing. You know, you, where's the pear in the drawing? And, you know, it, would be, it wouldn't be like obviously vis visible. Yeah. It would be hidden behind something or integrated into something. So that's a big part of what I'm doing with those pages in this book specifically. I think when you give art like this for children to invite them to scrutinize the art, invite them to really ask why, those choices were intentional. So why did Shane do that? You've got, if I step back, you've got in this sequence, three images where very deliberately you're changing the color of the characters. And at first, those three characters, the two friends and the third are coming into the gym and um, the first and second character are blue and purple as they are on the next page. But the middle character is actually physically in between those two friends wearing that number three jersey and is pink. When we turn to the page that I read where the child's on the floor, suddenly that color of the child is is almost just a mixture of the two kids, of the friend that pushed and of the friend that came to defend. And then when you move to that third page, sort of the, the reconciliation page, all three of those children are this like beautiful chocolate red brown against a really bright blue sky. And and I don't know that this beautiful phrase and lifting up of the child, but that, that line of my friend then slowly started to melt. He seemed to feel a little of what I felt that that feeling of like, look, I've pushed people down too before, or I've done, I have caused harm to other people, whether I did it intentionally or unknowingly, we've been here before. We need to figure out how we move past this, how we lift that person, that victim up and move forward with them. I love that. That spread in particular. I love what it's doing there. Yeah, that's huge what you just shared, too, because, you know, the victim idea and then the bully idea. I mean, I think when I've gone to schools, you know, I've asked, you know, has anyone, you know, it's one of these things where, where I, I think that we as teachers are always careful. It's like I ask a question and don't always ask people to acknowledge it with body language, like raise your hand if you have been. Yeah. You know, but it's more like, you know, just think about this question. Have you ever been in a position where you have been bullied? Think about that. And then, you know, the, the more dynamically challenging question 
is have you ever bullied anyone? Because if, you know, if everyone is supporting the victim um, in certain moments, when you know that you've been a bully and you know that you put someone in a position of feeling a certain way and don't have the way to express, you know, your, your sorrow about that, because, you know, you're not championed to, like, come forth sometimes, then, you know, it puts you back into that experience of, like, you know, I don't know what it is. It's like you, you get lost in that space, feeling like you're trying to take someone's power away from them or something. So I think those pages are really good ones for, and it's likely that someone who has felt that way will ask the reader or themselves to stop on those pages and really reflect. Yeah, those pages. Yeah, those two or three pages in that in that sequence. That's what's so dynamic about picture books. It's like, let's just go with the cliche that if a picture is worth a thousand different words, and right on those pages alone, we know that there's probably maybe maybe there's thirty words or something. Then there's there's like you know nine hundred and seventy more words to 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 really go through <laughs> to like work to work through like what is needed to really get those things moving. And then, you know, I often hear this from teachers and parents and, and children as well, that they might read a book like 20, 30 times, and know, it becomes a favorite. I think that becomes a favorite because there's a topic in there that really needs to be addressed. I think you have that. You also have that in the picture book format, it's so unique because it's a performance. It's a drama. Mm. It's one that we are players as readers because we turn the page. So we choose how long each act lasts. If we return to, if we move forward from, we let each performance be a little bit different every time we read. And that, to have... To have a book like this with text that just flies and, and sings in that way, but also gives moments for you to slow down and decide, are you ready to move on yet? And if you're not, it's okay. I think that's wonderful because after that, we get this wonderful uh, landing of the plane, as it were, that you've got these hands in the air under this rainbow and these falling leaves, these moments where we're going to see the ripples of our actions in one another's lives. And whether or not, true, it makes me think of Maya Angelou. Dr. Maya Angelou talked about being a rainbow in someone's mm -hmm. sky. Do you remember hearing that quote before? Mm -hmm. You've, you've got this... You, your book ends on this beautiful image of looking down at the water. We had seen rain earlier. We're looking down at the water and these leaves making these ripples out. And there's a rainbow there. And it makes me think of Dr. Maya Angelou had a quote that says something along the lines of um, her mother or grandmother. I can't recall. I'll have to look it up. Um, hmm. Telling her to always be the rainbow in someone else's clouds, that we have the power to do that. We need to call ourselves to be the rainbow in someone else's clouds. Love it, I love it. I mean, it's, you just brought a, a couple of different memories to mind. Um, I had done this character in this book called Olu's Dream some years back, and then I did what I call these things called Oluisms. Um, and it, there's a little website that I put together and I wanted to make sure that this little character was teaching about heroes and sheroes um, that that little character and his sidekick 
um, Brindle could celebrate. And Dr. Maya Angelou was one of the characters. And it was a quote about being alone, you know, and alone, alone, you're never alone, you know. And then the sidekick character, you know, enforces that. And so the, even it, that little series was inspired actually by Calvin and Hobbes because I always loved the idea that this boy character, Calvin, um, you know, brought to life this stuffed animal for us to see, yeah. you know, so that, that, <laughs> that moment of, <laughs> right? And then uh, the moment even in this book with the rainbow, not too long ago, I was in a place where I, you know, I need, there was a water hose and it was at a public park and it was like the perfect timing. It was like, oh, cool, here's a hose. We can hose off and get some water in the me in the meantime. And when I was spraying the hose, sometimes if you catch that just right, there's a mist that comes off and you can make rainbows, you know? So the light was just perfect. And I, you know, the person I was with, I was like, yo, I'm the, I am the rainbow maker. Like ah. as I'm, yeah, as I'm spraying this, and she could see it too. She's like, I see it. She took a picture of it, and I think in this book here, when I am making rainbows, you know, phys like with physical painting, or you know, in this instance, like just taking you know strips of color, and and putting them together. Every once in a while, I do have to check how the rainbow is put together because I can mix it up if I want. That's the beautiful thing about being a rainbow maker. You can. You can make it any sequence of colors. You know, it's light and light and and shadows and water and everything fragmenting off of each other to make it that what it is. So in that in that place at the end of the book, it's one of these things that when we see a rainbow in the sky, I mean, it stops us. It stops most of us in our tracks. Like whatever we're doing, I think it's important to just stop, look, appreciate be in awe of it, know and understand how much all the different things, the lights and the, the water and everything, the clouds forming at that right moment to make that thing be what it is so that we can see it, you know. Um, and I don't know, you know, I even put this out there for those who like, let's say, for example, you're colorblind or you, you have no sight. There's still something about a rainbow and the energy that comes from that space that uh, causes people to think inwardly, you know, a little bit about what it takes to make that transition, that gradation, that combination of colors. Because that's metaphor, metaphor speaking, or, you know, speaking in that space of like what we are rainbows, that becomes a really, really dynamic way of expressing who we and all of us around us truly are. You know? Shane Evans, I am so glad to have spent time with you. You make me feel great. <laughs> and it's so great to know the work that you're doing for our children, to know you behind your art. Thank you for being you, for walking through the world the way you do. I'm grateful for you. Matthew, I appreciate you as well. It's been a ple it's always a pleasure, actually. So thank you so much for what you're doing, continuing to do. I know it can be challenging with given all you have to do. So just stay at it, stay focused, stay encouraged, really. Hmm. Shane, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message I can bring to them from you? It's exciting to know. Um, 
I think be inspired, you know, be inspired and be an inspiration for one other person. I think, I think every individual would be surprised that someone around them needs that inspiration. So to be conscious and mindful that they can inspire someone is going to be the inspiration that sparks inspiration in someone else. So be the inspiration and be inspired. I think that is the message that you could share from me to them. Ladies and gentlemen, Shane W. Evans. Shane, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a great, great pleasure. Well, as you know, folks, I've been inviting some picture book authors to share their upcoming books with all of us through our end credits. And so I'm about to pass off the reins. I will see you in this feed later on. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week. This is Megan Hoyt, author of Bartoli's Bicycle, the story of 1938 Tour de France winner Gino Bartoli, whose greatest achievement was something he never told a soul, that he secretly worked with the Italian resistance to save hundreds of Jewish men, women, and children from certain death, using the one thing no authority would question, his bicycle. You can learn more about Bartoli's Bicycle by visiting www.meganhoyt.net. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 650 episodes at matthewcwinner.com. Our theme music is by Pottington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. Want to help out the show? Become a Patreon at patreon.com slash matthewcwinner. And your support and contributions will directly support and impact his work here. And always, writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.